Somewhere beyond the known world lies a dimension as vast as space, as infinite as imagination. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between the blank page and the silver screen. You are now entering A Filmmaker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hey everybody, welcome back to A Filmmaker's Guide to the Galaxy. I am Silas. And I'm Julie. Hey, film friends. How's it going? Hopefully everyone's having a great day, morning or evening. Um, thank you again for joining us. Uh, can't wait to get into this episode. I'm really excited about this one. Today we get to talk about Attack of the Killer Brains from Outer Space. This is our movie and we are going to share with you about our writing process, where this whole thing started from, the research that we did along the way investigating and exploring the sci-fi genre coming of age movies we're super excited let's dive in where we're we gonna start i think we should start with your arcade scene which was the genesis of this whole thing okay this random scene that you had written down however many years ago it was a, it was a few years back i was popcorning ideas pretty much for other feature films uh, i wanted to do a sci-fi alien movie I don't know what it was. I didn't know at the time what it was going to be. But I, all I knew is that I wanted it to start with this arcade game. And it was very reminiscent of The Last Starfighter, which was a movie that me and you both talked about later that we both knew and, and I grew up on. And and it wasn't a chance to like reboot it, but more or less to pay homage to it. Mm -hmm. What I think is really cool is that you had this scene on paper, very retro, calling back to this kind of like moody, abandoned arcade with this girl character, the hero running from the cops, trying to get away, kind of a, a troublemaker, troubled teen type, and finding herself in this kind of mysterious, magical moment and we transformed that into this whole thing that was the seed of it. And the seed of it came from you. But ultimately, I feel like everything that came afterwards was 100% both of our investment and contribution. Yeah, collaboration of some of the films that we both grew up on, emotions that pull us into, into other films that we love. Mm -hmm. And so going through the process, you know, anybody goes through the process of how do you write a script? What do you do? Outline? A, right. Where do you begin? And with this story, it began with like a weird one pager, single spaced, that had nothing to do with our movie. That scene still is it's, in the movie. It's still in the movie. 100%. We started out with our main character, Mel. She was different. She retained some of her artistic characteristics as we moved forward with the story. But in the beginning, she was kind of a chalk graffiti artist yeah. who was trespassing. And that's what got her in trouble with the cops. Now she's this teen filmmaker who is trying to figure out how to make a movie. We definitely had a lot of unanswered questions when we started writing the script, which I think is is a pretty cool thing because in other processes that I've worked in, which I've heard about people um, working as far as the process, it's a lot of 
not formula necessarily, but architecting, right? So answering a lot of questions up front. Who's our main character? What is her problem? How is she going to solve the problem through the, you know, context of of the plot and the story. It's so funny. Because this is the very first time for everybody that doesn't know that Julie and I have sat down and tried to tackle a feature length script together. Like this mm-hmm. is the first real thing that we're like, we've written like, you know, commercial ads and spots for for TV and stuff like that. And, and our music video. Yeah, our music video and stuff. But this is the first thing that we were like, okay, this is going to be different. And we know that there's going to be ups and downs and, and struggles and celebrations and but we both had different styles coming into it. And we both even talked about those different styles before we even put pen to paper or like figures to keyboard. <laughs> yeah. Even though we did an outline, like I said, we had so many unanswered questions when we started working that outline. We did not know what the climax of the movie was going to be. We had to discover all that along the way as we crafted the story and to me, it was a great process. It was so exciting to to live the story kind of more organically through the eyes of the characters as opposed to like, I am the writer of this story and I will architect it the way that stories are architected. Yeah. You know, it was like... Definitely less robotic and more organic, like you said. And that was, that was something that I wanted from the get-go because I've done that before. Well, let's see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because I remember when you read that first little page that I had pulled out, like dug out of this binder, right? I was like, hey, let's check out this thing. And you were like, oh, this is rad. Like, I don't know what this is, but we could, let's like use this, which made me feel like we could take this idea and blossom this story out of making each character their own and and navigating these waters into something that we both didn't even know where was going to go, but we still in a way had control of how big we wanted the story to become Mm -hmm. yeah it's funny that you said blossom because I was thinking it bloomed um so we started from this single scene we talked about our main character we talked about like what her family was like we didn't want her to have a traditional kind of nuclear family setting Um, we decided that her parents were going to be passed away but that we weren't going to focus on that as like a plot point or a you know, piece of dialogue in the very beginning, because a lot of movies do that. They kind of shove it in the face of the audience. Like the parents are dead. Look at the picture of the daughter with her parents on the bedside table. And then she goes downstairs and no one is there. You know, it's like very obvious story choices, but we did want her to have a very meaningful relationship with her older sister, which was kind of like the relationship that John Cusack has with his sister in the movie Say Anything. Say Anything is one of the many films that we watched to do research on. And we just went back to that one because Julie and I both love that movie. And, you know, then that kind of brought up this laundry list of let's go down each and every movie that we can think of that has to do with, you know, teen teen angst and coming, um, of, coming age. of age and, and also like, John Hughes. Yeah, pretty much the John Hughes collection, pretty much. Which didn't age the best, but, you know, still has some really has some great moments, great characters. The principal in uh, The Breakfast Club right. is so memorable. And we definitely thought about that character when we wrote our principal Munson, Principal Munson, yeah. Which the janitor's name is Carl Munson. Yeah. there's In there, The Breakfast Club. There, There's so many Easter eggs 
within our film. <laughs> I can't even begin to explain how many Easter eggs. I mean, it might actually take a long time for me and you both to go through it and like mark them all out, you know, for IMDb once this film's done. Yeah. I would, I would love to try to like see or count how many Easter eggs we have for the audience. What about from the sci-fi genre? Were there any like movies that we watched that surprised you? Let's just go, let's go back to faculty. You know, I had to deal with like a school and uh, alien invasion, misfit kids. Yeah. Ragtag group of kids fighting this alien invasion in this high school, right? Had a football field, uh, had uh, invasion of the body snatchers vibe, just a newer version of that. And I think one of the very early ones that we started with was the blob. I remember that. Yeah. The original blob with Steve McQueen, which I had no idea Steve McQueen was even in that movie. For me, Body Snatchers was like so memorable. That movie had amazing visuals, such a dark ending that I didn't expect. So hopeless. Completely hopeless, like utterly and totally hopeless. And we watched the 70s version first. first. And then we went back to the 50s version they were the same. They this the tone of the films, both films were the same. The hopeless, eerie, spine tingly, make your hair stand up on your arm. Mm-hmm. They both had some scenes in there that you would drop your jaw. You know, even even in the fifties, you're just like, what? Yeah, it was interesting to see how these different sci-fi stories were remade over time and reimagined. You know, the original Fly was so shy about the the main character's transformation that you never even see his face. You just see him shrouded with this black cape thing over his head, and then he's wearing this trench coat, and he's got one human hand and one fly claw, and he's grappling between the two, you know, trying to, like, do sort of this visual story around his struggle to remain human even as the fly takes over and then the Jeff Goldblum flies like completely just just a exposed and grody and so horrific completely unshy about showing every single step of the transformation of the main character into the fly it was so guttural, you know, just in your face graphics. Right. Like, like pretty horrific, which I've never seen the fly uh, with Jeff Goldblum or the or the original. So that was kind of like the first for both of us. But right. going into this movie, we wanted to, you know, do our due diligence and watch movies from that era and from the era that sci-fi actually began. Right. And and wanted to make sure that we were doing our homework. And looking back, I think we found a lot of tropes that we wanted to replicate. You know, the the scientists' characters, the scientific characters, like the really cool cutting-edge technology mm-hmm. that the characters were working with, the sense of the ticking time bomb, like this is all going to end in four hours or 20 hours or whatever it was. And then there were a lot of tropes that we did not want to repeat. No, that we wanted to actually like... uh, Cancel. Cancel pretty much or combat with, uh, you know, 
more current PC versions of like how it should be. Right. There's just ways of thinking, ways of portraying female characters, especially that we found were pretty vile, I would say. There were actually some movies where it was the movie's plot was to get in a woman's pants. One of the first ones that we watched because it had a brain character in it was the brain from planet Arus. And what happens essentially is the female character is engaged to this doctor scientist. He gets infected or like possessed by this alien brain. Pretty much the whole movie, this brain that now lives in this person, yeah, in this in this man, is trying to, I would say, like, like very grotesquely engage in like sexual activities and she's engaged to him and she's making lunch or making iced tea and like trying to fend off this guy's advances and she just continuously kind of puts it off to the idea that he's just overworked and overstressed definitely not the best movie to reference but we ended up watching it because it had the brains in it i remember just being like pretty stunned and then we came upon other movies that had a similar vibe to them and within about you know 10-15 minutes of watching the movie we knew right away that we didn't need to finish it because the plot was going to be based around this strange relationship dynamic that is very unpleasant for the female characters involved i think some of the best things that we got from the old movies were some of the visual tricks that the filmmakers used to create the landscapes with, you know, map paintings in the thing. Right. Or using using miniatures. Oh my gosh. The miniatures are so cool. The artistry on films back in the day, it's so beautiful and amazing. It comes through. Yeah. There's so much texture and character to the ways that these artists crafted and created the worlds that they were presenting through these through these films. I think that was one of the coolest things that I learned from watching the sci-fi movies. There's a lot of bureaucracy in sci-fi movies. Old sci-fi movies used a lot of found footage from wars, which kind of prompted a lot of military vibes and tone to the movies. Yeah, there was a lot of stock footage that they would use for like B-roll and mm-hmm. it automatically kind of shoehorned in the military or government. So they just naturally used that in their scripts and in the mm-hmm. in the films. Yeah. So we wrote the outline. We went through all of the story beats. We found them as we wrote the outline and then We wrote the script. We made some pretty significant character changes between the outline and then the versions of the script. And so in our next episode, we'll talk about character development and how we had to make some some hard choices. There were some characters that we had actually written, um, at least one that we cut completely and one that we had to change significantly over several different revisions. You know, it's interesting because you like when you write like this, when you're just kind of venturing into this world and you're just making up as you go, we're not like pressured to stick to a specific outline. And then we, yeah, we were writing characters. We're like, what is this person even doing? Like if we cut them out, do we lose anything or do we just like, is this person just like dead space, like a waste of space on in our script? 
You know, we didn't want any filler. We wanted everybody to like have a moment or be a part of the story. And uh, sometimes you see in, in films or even TV shows that you have moments where you're like, why are we watching this? Like this mm-hmm. doesn't move along the story at all. And that those are the moments that you like kind of like zone out or kind of want to fast forward. And we were really trying hard not to do that within the script. Yeah. And I think we also didn't want to be too heavy handed with sort of what our character's X factor was going to be. And quite a bit of the outline, we didn't even know what our main character's primary gift or talent was. When we found it, I just remember that being so exciting because it fit and it wasn't forced. And yet we found it. Yeah, it just it was just there. It just naturally appeared when we were writing. We got to the end, or like to the like a little close to the end, and we were just like, "Oh man, is this is this right. what it is? Is this what it's going to be?" Right. You know, I think this is I think this is a good place to end. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the audience with this. Oh, okay. Okay. It's, it's another little um, callback to art history, and Michelangelo was a painter during the Italian Renaissance, but he was also a sculptor. He sculpted beautiful, beautiful figures out of marble. And I found this really interesting when I learned it that he didn't go to a piece of marble with a predetermined idea of the figure that he was going to sculpt from it. He found a piece of marble and then he started sculpting and the figure came out of the marble. And I feel like that's what we did with our story. We didn't go to the story with necessarily that architected predetermined shape that it was going to have. We found it. Yeah. I feel like we didn't have a blueprint. We just went for it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we, we ended up with a script that we, we are extremely proud of. And I've never had a creative process that like worked out so beautifully and so elegantly like that, that made me really feel like, oh, I'm an artist mm-hmm. the way that we did with that one. I think that's a good place to end. That's a great place to end. Let's queue up the next one. How about episode three? What can they expect? Episode three is going to be all about our characters and the different uh Ways that we thought about our characters and worked with our characters and kind of like transformed them. You know, you focused on one character and we made, we'd make a lot of progress with that character, but then kind of leave some other characters a little bit neglected and have to give them uh, more attention in the next pass. Yeah. Bolstering certain characters up. Right. Now these other characters are a little floppy. (laughs) We got to, we got to pay attention to those characters as well. So, um, like I said, we don't want to, we don't want a character that is just a filler, you know. We don't want a just a random character that doesn't make any sense. Right. So if and if that's the case, just like take the take that character out of your story, you know. Right. <laughs> uh until then, I am Silas. And I'm Julie. You can find me on socials, uh at Silas Doll, usually on Instagram and Twitter or Facebook. Um don't go on Twitter too much these days, but uh Instagram and Facebook, I'll be on them. And if you find Silas, you'll find me. <laughs> Also, also look at uh, our uh, check out our website Dollhouse Pictures D A L L House Pictures dot com. With that, my film friends, stay with us in our journey through the filmmakers' galaxy, and be sure to catch us on the next planet. Dollhouse.
Somewhere beyond the known world lies a dimension as vast as space, as infinite as imagination. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between the blank page and the silver screen. You are now leaving A Filmmaker's Guide to the Galaxy.